Hi, my name is Molly and I love all things ghoulish, macabre, spooky and paranormal. If you do too, then you'll love to tune in and listen to me bringing you haunted tales from every county in the United Kingdom and eventually beyond. Each week, I pick a county randomly from my ghost haunted box and bring to you a ghostly tale from that particular county. This week, we have been transported to the diverse county of West Yorkshire. So sit or lie back and let's get ghoulish. Based on recent growth rates, they estimate the current 2023 population of West Yorkshire to be 1,929,000. Bronte Sisters The famous Bronte Sisters, authors of classic novels like Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, lived in the village of Haworth, West Yorkshire. World's smallest cinema, Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire, is home to the world's smallest cinema, the Hebden Bridge Picture House. Birthplace of Rugby League, the town of Huddersfield in West Yorkshire is known as the birthplace of Rugby League. The sport was founded there in 1895. Unique accent, West Yorkshire has a distinctive accent and dialect that is quite different from standard English, making it unique and easily recognisable. Marsden Moor Estate. Marsden Moor Estate in West Yorkshire is home to the Standedge Tunnels, which are the longest canal tunnels in the United Kingdom. Invention of cat's eyes. Cat's eyes, the reflective road markers used worldwide, were invented by Percy Shaw in Halifax, West Yorkshire. Peace Hall. Spelt P-I-E-C-E, Halifax is home to Peace Hall, a Grade 1 listed building, which is one of the only surviving cloth halls in the world. Ilkley Moor, Ilkley Moor, a beautiful open moorland, is home for the Ilkley Moor Bart At song, a local folk song with an intriguing history. Emmerdale. The long-running British soap opera Emmerdale is filmed in the village of Esholt, West Yorkshire. Historic Castles West Yorkshire boasts several historic castles, including Pontefract Castle and Sandal Castle, both with rich histories dating back to the medieval era. Birthplace of the 20 mile per hour zone the concept of 20 miles per hour speed limits in residential areas was first introduced in West Yorkshire in 1995. Bingley Five Rise Locks Bingley Five Rise Locks on the Leeds and Liverpool Canal is the steepest flight of locks in the UK, consisting of five locks stacked one above the other. Woolen Industry West Yorkshire played a significant role in the woolen industry during the Industrial Revolution, contributing to its economic growth. 
historic railways. West Yorkshire has several historic railway stations, including Hebden Bridge Railway Station, which is known for its picturesque setting. Shipley Glen Tramway. Shipley Glen Tramway, located in West Yorkshire, is one of the oldest working cable tramways in the world. J.B. Priestley. The renowned playwright and author, J.B. Priestley, was born in Bradford, West Yorkshire. National Media Museum. West Yorkshire is home to the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, which explores the science and culture of light and sound technologies. It's an interesting hub for media enthusiasts and science lovers. Haworth Steampunk Weekend. Haworth, the famous home of the Bronte sisters, hosts an annual steampunk weekend where enthusiasts of steampunk culture gather in Victorian-inspired costumes, creating a visually fascinating experience. Leeds Grand Theatre. Leeds Grand Theatre, located in the heart of Leeds, is a prominent Victorian theatre known for its opulent architecture and hosting a variety of performances, ranging from musicals to operas, making it a cultural gem in West Yorkshire. This week, prepare yourself for a spine-chilling journey to Pontefract, where we investigate what many dub the most violent poltergeist in Europe. Brace yourself as we uncover the haunting secrets lurking behind the doors of number 30 East Drive. My research credits and thanks go to Haunted Rooms, Spirit Shack and the 30 East Drive website itself. Let's dive in. The remarkable events at 30 East Drive that occurred in the late 60s and early 70s caused much local excitement, with physical events being witnessed by many. Yet it wasn't until some 10 years after the haunting stopped that a young amateur historian with an interest in the Cluniac monks of Pontefract heard about the case and became the first person to formally investigate. What he uncovered from the local newspaper reports sounded almost too good to be true. Poltergeist phenomena apparently caused by the ghost of a Cluniac monk who had been hanged for rape in the time of Henry VIII. He talked to friends, relatives and neighbours and to the local vicar and mayor and even the Member of Parliament who had all witnessed some of the phenomena, the results of which convinced him that this was more than just a footnote in the history of the Priory of St John the Evangelist. Location and address, 30 East Drive, Pontefract, West Yorkshire, WF8 2AN. If you stand outside the Church of All Saints, Pontefract, near the ruins of the old priory in the castle, a 
and look across the housing estate to Checkerfields, you will see the hilltop where the gallows once stood. Work your way there through the maze of pleasant little tree-lined streets and you will arrive at 30 East Drive. It stands on the corner at the top of the hill opposite the site of the old gallows, on the site where a small bridge over a stream is once said to have ran. Poltergeists have long been associated with underground running water. The stream has long since been buried. However, a note of interest is that during repairs to the damp floor in the neighbouring house, an old stone well was discovered directly underneath the buttress of the semi-detached build, down which the body of the executed monk is thought to have been thrown. From the outside, number 30 East Drive in Pontefract looks like any other house on the street. It is a modest, three-bedroom, semi-detached council house, circa the 1950s. However, it has a sinister side hiding within. The house is the domain of a somewhat evil entity who has come to be known affectionately as Fred, or sometimes the Black Monk or the Pontefract Poltergeist. He is believed to be the most violent poltergeist in Europe and he has been making his presence known for more than 50 years. It all started in August 1966 on a hot summer's day. The Pritchards had just moved into 30 East Drive, Pontefract. The family consisted of Joe and Jean and children Philip, aged 15 at the time, and Diane, aged 12. It wasn't long after they moved in that strange things started to occur. This is the story of the haunting at 30 East Drive. From the outside of the house, 30 East Drive looks just like any other council-built house from the 1950s, although its previous inhabitants would tell a rather different story of the sinister ongoings inside the building. It all started soon after the Pritchards moved in. Dust began to float around them in the room, which seemed odd, but then quickly settled surrounding them. In an attempt to quickly clean it up so as not to cause panic, Mrs Kelly, the children's aunt, quickly ran to the kitchen to grab some cleaning implements. It was here that she looked on in shock as a mysterious pool of water was appearing on the kitchen floor. Suddenly, multiple different pools of water started appearing all over the kitchen. Over the years, while the Pritchards lived in the haunted 30 East Drive, they endured many hauntings and paranormal encounters. Some strange ongoings included green-coloured foam coming out of the taps and toilets, even though the water had been turned off. The lights would consistently turn on and off. 
the cupboards would shake violently from time to time. Photographs and pictures were shredded. Plants apparently leapt out of their pots. Furniture moved on its own. Despite becoming utterly terrified, the family refused to leave their wonderful home. They became accustomed to the unusual happenings, so much so that they decided to name the poltergeist Fred. Despite their refusal to leave their home, the Pritchards were determined to rid the place of Fred in order to gain some peace and normality back into their lives. They attempted to perform exorcisms with the help of trained professionals, to which Fred mocked their attempts and on occasion became angry and attacked people physically. When Fred became angry, there was no telling what the what hell he would put the Pritchards through. On many occasions when the Pritchards would splash holy water, the walls would mysteriously start to leak fluid. He would even lift up objects in the house, such as heavy items of furniture, moving them through the air. The youngest child of the Pritchards, Diane Pritchard, who was 12 at the time of moving in, became the main focus of the hauntings. It is considered incredibly rare for a poltergeist to cause physical bodily harm to a physical entity such as Diane, but as she grew older, the attacks got worse and worse. Sadly, as Diane grew, she was attacked by Fred and was even dragged screaming up the stairs. Other violence towards Diane from the poltergeist included face slapping, being physically pulled out of bed while she was sleeping and her hair being yanked from her head. Diane ended up severely traumatised. Finger marks clearly distinguishable on her throat. The malevolent entity or poltergeist known as Fred or the Black Monk is believed to currently be one of the most violent poltergeists in Europe. He has been making his presence known for more than five decades. Throughout the time that Fred has been causing mayhem, there have been many different explanations given regarding who the entity is. He is known by the press as Mr Nobody. He received the nickname the Black Monk when he appeared as an apparition. He was supposedly wearing long black robes. 30 East Drive is currently owned by film producer Bill Bungie, who purchased the house after making the film When the Lights Went Out, which was based loosely on the Pritchards' experiences. The house is currently open for visitors and tours, although the owners thoroughly discourage people from staying the night. The website even states that 30 East Drive is far from a traditional bed and breakfast and any visitors staying at the property will not be covered by insurance if they do choose to visit. Now, in his own words, the current owner of 30 East Drive shares his experiences and thoughts on this most infamous place.
Bill Bungie, ad man, film producer and the new owner of the property, reflects What possessed me, forgive the pun, to buy the most infamous haunted house in Europe? Simply because I'd recently made a movie about the house called When the Lights Went Out with director and good friend of mine and native of Pontefract, Pat Holden. After completing the movie, I was looking for original ways of promoting When the Lights Went Out, when I discovered that the actual house where all these incredible events allegedly happened was for sale. And it was uh, cheap, so I bought it. This resulted in the coolest red carpet movie premiere ever, where two competition winners walked the tiny red carpet down the garden path into number 30 East Drive to watch the movie about that actual house. Of course, the truth is that despite having visited a very dark house in Coventry and spoken with a family that were being terrorised by a poltergeist, I still remain stoically sceptical. To me, if the Black Monk ever existed, then surely, after 40 years, it would be long gone. An assumption that proved to be terrifyingly wrong. During the gathering of the stars of the movie at the house, I met the neighbour Carol. She was quick to inform me that now the house was once again open to visitors, lots of visitors, the activity had started again in earnest. And by the way, Fred was stood by the stairs observing us. Turned out that Carol was something of a psychic and had encountered the poltergeist a number of times in her adjoining property. Needless to say, I was reluctant to regard her comments with anything less than some healthy degree of scepticism. I had carried around with me since I was first told the story by Pat some 20 years earlier. For me, the idea of making a movie about a poltergeist that moved into a council house instead of the clichéd creaking mansion house or dank medieval castle was a sitter. I didn't feel I needed to believe in the existence of ghosts or poltergeists in order to justify making a movie about them. I mean, come on. Then I met Hannah Clifford and Tasha Connor, the two starlets from my movie, and suggested a photo as a memento. As we posed, a friend took a pic on my iPhone and a phone with 75% charge went flat and died in a beat. Okay. I tried not to think anything of that either, blaming a technical fault on a perfectly healthy iPhone. But I had to let the photo opportunity slip. Or so I had thought. After I had recharged my phone, I checked to see if the pic was there, to no avail. In fact, it wasn't until weeks later that this photo suddenly appeared on the phone. I was fairly sure it hadn't been taken and I'm certain it wasn't in my photo library immediately after I'd recharged my phone. I checked thoroughly. Then the story started coming in from Carol the neighbour and now key holder of the house. 
Reports of three, four a.m. bumps and bangs coming from number 30. Glowing blue balls of energy in the corridor. The duvet on Carol's son's bed being formed into the shape of a man on his bed. The black shadow of a very tall entity coming through the wall into her house and so on. It was back, or rather, the truth it seemed was that it had always been there living in quiet harmony with Jean Pritchard all the while, as in fact the activities had restarted before I took possession of the property with the apparent sound of a TV blaring in number 30, despite the property being completely empty. A report that had Philip Pritchard, now in his late 50s, understandably quite alarmed. Then I witnessed something indisputable with my own flipping eyes. A documentary about the house and local community was being made and I took the opportunity to visit the production crew on their last day of filming. Being professionals, they were fairly understated about any events that may have happened while they had filmed at the property. The kettle switching on and superheating off its own volition the case of the constantly missing thermostat, the remote kind that you sit on the mantelpiece, the researcher being pinned down onto the bed in the small room, might have been a night terror, or my personal favourite, possible evidence of the poltergeist's continuing fascination with keys. Back in the Pritchard's day, a bunch of keys consisting of all the keys of the house fell from the chimney when Jean was brushing the flue, including a peculiar key said to be a large medieval door key. So it was intriguing to me that a bunch of keys belonging to one of the producers had gone missing. The crew hunted high and low and had all but given up finding them when someone had the idea to look inside the old vacuum cleaner I had purchased from a charity shop to dress the house. To my knowledge, it doesn't work, and even if it did, it would never have the power to suck up a heavy bunch of keys. Plus, I suspect you'd notice if you did. Anyway, the crew hit the road around 2am, leaving me alone with two colleagues to tidy up. I went out into the garden to clear up any litter. Now what's interesting is that when you're in an environment like that, a place with a paranormal reputation, you find yourself being extra vigilant, and by now my spider senses were more than tingling. You think about every move you make. I am picking up this piece of litter, I am walking it to the wheelie bin, I am lifting the bin lid, and so on. So I remember clearly that it was a very cold and calm night. The streets were completely clear, and I was definitely alone outside. I looked at the double gates and actually wanted to secure them before my departure. One side of the wrought iron double gate was open, so I closed it, dropped the plunger into the hole and pushed, using a bit of effort, a concrete block against the gate, securing it firmly. Nothing less than a determined individual was going to open that gate, and before you say it, there's no slope, no spring in the gate, no bush to hide, a prankster in, nothing. 
I turned back towards the house and decided it was time to get my colleagues out of the house for us to hit the road. They came racing out of the kitchen door, the only door I had the key for, and therefore the only door open, and were understandably very relieved to finally get out. I'd lock the door and we'd be done. Except the keys had gone, no sign of them, but that wasn't the half of it. I glanced over at the back gate one last time, and to my horror, the side I had closed two minutes earlier, plunger and all, was open again, and I mean completely open, 90 degrees, the concrete block simply pushed aside. My first response, everyone does it, was to accuse my two colleagues of playing tricks on me, but I knew they'd been upstairs installing a lampshade in the dark the whole time. I definitely closed the gate and there was absolutely no one out at all. The hairs on the back of my neck took about an hour to settle back down. It wasn't until the following day when the locksmith was replacing the lock that Carol, my psychic neighbour, casually explained to me that it happened all the time. It, or Fred, as by now I had started to call him out of some form of respect in the vain hope that he would spare me, moved around the neighbourhood, this confirmed by other neighbours that have subsequently complained to me personally about the entity running past their windows after hours, as if I could somehow stop Fred from freaking out the locals. Friends have since had the courage to stay overnight. Smart, grounded, healthily sceptical friends. The list of things that occurred to them boggled the mind. Subtle stuff, but nevertheless real. Other visitors describe columns of ice-cold air in the corridor, every radiator in the house being turned up full, reported by a friend that installs radiators. He had turned them all down himself and was bemused by what had turned them all fun, all full-on by the morning and the cupboard under the stairs being impossible to open. Trust me, it opens easily. Only one group of friends seemingly had nothing happened to them, but I had observed how calm the house felt when they went for their visit. Plus, they did reach for the beers, perfectly understandable, and it is recognised that stimulants are not advised if you want to experience something paranormal. Don't ask me why but a lot of the stuff can be quite subtle and a few bevs have been known to take the edge off things. That said, when we walked in, Darren from next door was trying to put a hundred-piece puzzle that had been spread all over the carpet back into their box, except the box was thoroughly taped up, as it had been since I bought it from the charity shop. He broke the side of the box in my presence to return the pieces. So now what? Well, given no one wants to buy my house, which is fair enough, I suppose, yet many people have expressed an interest in visiting, so why not offer it up to visitors? Not as your run-of-the-mill guest house, but something out of this world, literally. But here's the thing. 
I pay the council tax on the place, and I promise you I have never stayed there, nor do I have any intention of staying there. I know lightweight, I hear you say, but I've now firmly left the school of sceptic. There is definitely something deeply profound and intimidating, though I am of the view there is a scientific explanation, but that's another story. In this house, so frankly I think you'd be nuts to make a booking. Pat's association with the house is a family connection with his mother Renee Holden, another psychic and relative of the Pritchards, having spent many days and evenings at number 30, witnessing a large number of paranormal events. Theoretical physicists can visit for free. Addendum. On Sunday, February the 14th, 2016, I went on one of my occasional visits to the house. I was alone washing some items in the kitchen sink when I felt the instinct to turn. I looked over my right shoulder only to see a small object materialise above the dining room table before being projected ballistically at my head. I could have sworn that it was going to hit me between the eyes and would have hurt had it done so, but it missed me by a whisker and ricocheted off the kitchen window. I looked down to see a small wooden domino, now in my possession, sat on the kitchen floor. After a few regrettable expletives, I felt the need to thank it for demonstrating for me its ability to teleport the first truly indisputable paranormal act I had witnessed. From then on, I was bombarded by small objects, all of which missed me by a whisker. A marble was projected through the ceiling with such force it took the varnish off the piano board. It missed my right ear by the smallest of margins. Two screws were thrown, again through the ceiling, either side of my head missing my ears by millimetres. I later discovered that a few of the screws I had collected earlier had disappeared from the fruit bowl. A red plastic ball materialised before my eyes and was thrown directly at my head again. I was talking to Carol, the neighbour at the time. The ball materialised well behind her, over her right shoulder, only to seemingly deviate at the last millisecond to miss me by a smidgen. My hat was removed off the handle of my case and thrown onto the sofa. The room was definitely empty at the time. And finally, Carol, her whole group and I, were all sat in the front room together having a cuppa and laughing about the incidents when we all heard a pop and the sound of something light, probably plastic, fall onto the kitchen floor. Carol went to see what the noise was, only to discover her granddaughter, who had just entered the front door, biting into a polystyrene orange. Don't bite that, sweetheart, I heard Carol say. It's not a real orange. Where did you get it? Who did you get it from, anyhow? A man in black gave it to me, came her simple, concise reply. It had gifted the faux fruit out of the fruit bowl and given it to the little girl and had chosen not to hide its identity to the child. All in all, it was an incredible afternoon. Yes, it was during daylight, 
what was targeting me or indeed why it chose to target me specifically is a matter of conjecture but one thing's for sure if it wanted to hurt me it had both the power and potential to do so but it missed me by a whisker every time the obvious take-out from that day was that it wanted to frighten me but perhaps it was simply trying to communicate with me to let me know that it was most definitely there hey it might even have been a twisted act of love it was valentine's day after all now we have a list of all the recent happenings and experiences within 30 east drive recorded by the owner investigators guests competition winners journalists neighbors film production crew and even passers-by. The list has a whopping 288 listed recent happenings, so I have not included all of them. You can check them out on the 30 East Drive website. So, TV blaring, house empty, bed in Diane's old room trashed at 4am, figure of man made from duvet placed on neighbour's son's bed, Six foot five inch shadow of a man walks from kitchen into neighbour's house. Circle drawn on back by finger whilst lying on the floor in the front room. Penny dropping from nowhere, rolling into the middle of the front room. TV turning off at wall. Every radiator mysteriously being turned up full, having been turned down by guest. Constantly disappearing portable thermostat. Missing keys found inside broken vacuum cleaner. Dolls in front room change position. Thermostat from downstairs mantelpiece found on Diane's bed. Half of black gate opening fully at 2am on calm quiet night having just been closed and blocked with heavy concrete block by the witness. 75% charge phone dying suddenly. This has happened to a few visitors. Untaken photo in connection to dying phone above, suddenly appearing weeks later. Glowing blue ball of light in corridor seen from window. This has been seen by a few visitors. On one occasion police were called. Shadow of tall man running past neighbours back windows unaffected by fences. Column of ice-cold air in corridor. Box of puzzle pieces found on floor. Puzzle box found to be sealed. Door under the stairs firmly stuck. It opens fine. Girl held down on bed in small room. She said it might have been a night terror, but she hasn't had one since she was a child. Candle put pot put in kitchen, placed onto beer tankard within minutes. Researcher sees form in the coal hole and gets pinned in room. Group of researchers witness shadow in corridor. Shadow captured on film at 21 minutes 43 seconds. Research group hear bed moving in Philip's room. Then discover bed had moved. Research group gets voice response using spirit box. Who's there? Monk. Do you want us to leave? Yes. Then the voice says December 1974. 
Later, a, a newspaper marked December is found under the researcher's seat. Running footsteps upstairs and a growl from the cupboard under the stairs. Heavy bang from upstairs in empty house. Upstairs middle door opening on its own. The doll in the living room that had been sat upright was laid face down. Whispers, bumps, bangs and dragging sounds. Phones and filming equipment malfunctioned without explanation. Definite form passes camera in darkness. A long white web feather placed on the camera. The stopped small kitchen clock turned the wall and began ticking. Headaches suffered, never suffers headaches. Feeling drained and unwell for 24 hours. Corridor light going on and off, viewed outside of empty house. And here are some comments left by those who have dared to cross the threshold and experience the house for themselves. What we experience probably no paranormal investigators have experienced. It has affected us personally. It was very intense. Maybe wouldn't do again, says Nicole A. What a place. I experienced more things that night than I have ever experienced in my life. Quite literally, it scared me down to the bone. We ended up running away in complete terror, said Kevin W. I can definitely see why you wouldn't stay there. The house is mad. It's as though the very fabric of the building is alive with something sinister, says Carl Beatty's producer-director of Most Haunted. The whole group experienced activity that couldn't be debunked, said Lisa R. It was quite fascinating. The locked-off objects also were quite interesting in the lounge, as they were constantly being set off, and one of the most interesting things was a Morse code-type tapping in the largest bedroom, which could also be heard in the first bedroom. Very strange, said Hazel F. It was a terrifying experience. This place is one of, if not, the most haunted house in the world, says Yvette Fielding, presenter of Most Haunted. Thank you for joining me today as I spoke of one of the most haunted and terrifying cases of poltergeist activity I think I've ever come across in my research. It was fascinating to investigate. I couldn't help but feel sorry for the 12-year-old Diane who was subjected to such violence at the hands of an unseen force. I cannot imagine the terror and trauma it must have caused and I hope she went on to find peace. I like the fact that it was brought by someone genuinely interested in the paranormal and who maintains it so that it can remain open as a place for people like me and you who find this phenomena fascinating to explore if we so wish, along with professional paranormal investigators. It's a good thing that no one lives there full time but can be preserved as a place to create a memorable experience. I look forward to finding out some more about it looking at photos and checking out videos. I tr it truly has captured my attention. I know for a fact that if I didn't live five and a half hours away, I would book to go and see it as soon as possible. Perhaps I will one day, if I find myself up north. 
I have thoroughly enjoyed researching this week's episode and I look forward to the next location. Celebrate this Halloween on Tuesday, October the 31st with a special treat from me. Dive into the eerie tale of Jack the Ripper and I hope you find it enjoyable. Before I go, let's see where the ghost haunted box has chosen for us to investigate next. And it is West Sussex. So join me next week on Friday, November the 3rd, to find out what I have discovered about the county of West Sussex, which happens to be next door to me. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Ghost Haunted with Molly or my username, which is Hauntologist1. If you would like to show your support, you can now do so by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash Molly Ghost. Many thanks to you. Until next week, stay curious, stay cautious and never let your guard down. For the realm of the unknown is always closer than we think. <laughs>